that last song, there was actually a part of that, which I'm sure you got by now, which is And you guys did it. You actually shouted it. And sang praise to God. That, the Bible says in the Psalms that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. So you want God's presence there more than the start by lifting his name. Worship is supposed to inspire, prepare, uh, and, and there's supposed to be celebration. Celebration, inspiration, and preparation. For what do you think? For what do you think? Kind of tight. To hear God's word. We celebrate when we come in what he's done for us. We're inspired by what we sing because much of what we sing is straight from the Bible. And then we prepare our hearts to hear his word. So if you will turn to Genesis chapter 40, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 40, we've got an aggressive journey to wrap this series up. Probably should have made it five weeks instead of four, but uh, don't hold your breath because we're going to uh, you're gonna need to breathe in deep. We're going to be going very, very fast. Let me ask you a question. Wouldn't it be great if what the American Indians invented, a dream catcher. Maybe I'm pretty sure you know what a dream catcher is. Anybody know what a dream catcher is? But wouldn't it be cool if that worked? Wouldn't it be cool if that was real? I mean, I got some pictures up here of, we scroll through, of actual dream catchers here. What it is is a small hoop-like uh, device, like a net type of a thing. It contains horsehair of a similar construction. It could be with string or yarn. That you don't have to pull the horsehairs out of its mane or anything to use it. It's decorated with feathers and beads, and it's believed uh, by its creators to give its owners good dreams. So not just give them, literally catch the good ones. So if you have a, a good dream, they believe that if you have the dream catcher thing set up in your teepee or whatever, those will just sort of absorb and catch them, and they'll become a reality in your life. It's a little sketchy scientifically, I would say. Probably not on the other But uh, and it doesn't talk about why you catch dreams and doesn't catch nightmares. I don't know if they're really small and they go through the little grid or not. But we're out of time. We'll, we'll look at that. Sadly, it's not that easy. To live the dream is not that easy. As most of us know, we're the age of 10. Raise your hand if you're over 10. Let me see how many are over 10 here. So that's just about everybody. And we all know that life has ups and downs. There are mountain peaks, and we shoot for those, but there's valleys. Let's face it, if you've lived, man, forget 10. If you live more than five years old uh, as a kid, then you know that life happens. It's a nice way of saying it. You know, besides comfort, there's pain. Besides good times, there's bad. Besides joy, there are tears. Besides paradise, there's problems. Now, what I'm going to say next, I'm going to say several times, and I want you guys to get this down. In fact, I'm saying it several times. It's sort of a beating, and the beatings will continue until you get it. It's very important. So note take here is kind of our catchphrase for this dream thing. This seems a little bit hot, Kenny, if you want to kind of take the edge off this a little bit. Uh, although I like to yell, so maybe leave it on. Leave the edge of Here it is. Dream catchers aren't pushed by their problems. They are led by their dreams. That's a huge difference that we're going to see as we close out the life of Joseph today. Here's the deal. Dream catchers, great people for God. They are pushed around by their problems and the obstacles of life. They're led by their dreams. So i got a question for you. Are you pushed or pulled? Are you pushed or pulled in life? See, if you're pushed, that's bad. That means every time something bad happens, it sort of pushes you off course, and you stumble into this thing, and you start to feel bad about yourself, you start thinking you're not worth anything, and so woe is me. Then it pushes you another problem on another path, and you're just all over the map. But if you're a pull, listen, God pulls. God moves, and His Holy Spirit pulls us along towards the dream. It's better to be pulled than to be pushed. Are you pushed or pulled? Philippians 1 6. Paul, the Apostle Paul said that those of the church of Philippi, he said, He who began a good work for you will bring it to completion. Do you believe that? Yeah. As a believer, he who saved you, he who started a good work in you, made you a new creation, it's not done there. Salvation Day isn't just about salvation. If it was, then when you are saved, you'd literally be plucked off this earth, taken to heaven, and that'd be game over. It's more than that. That would be enough. It would be enough. Salvation is a great, great gift. But he leaves us here on earth to complete another work. The work of molding our character more and more into the image and likeness of his son, Jesus. That's why he leaves us here. Then it becomes a masterful work. Then it becomes a molding and a guiding until we look more like Jesus. And he leaves us here to do something else, too. To exercise and employ the talents and the spiritual gifts that he gives us for the building up of his kingdom. So when we're saved, you may have talents and gifts. When you're saved, you get more. You get spiritual gifts, and he leaves us here to develop us into the likeness of the Son and to use our gifts and talents uniquely to build up his kingdom. Those are the most important things that you can be doing. The most important thing that you can be doing. And yet most Christians aren't even aware of it, let alone doing that. Now, that being said, that verse, he who began the work, you will be faithful to complete it. It's a little bit of a mixed bag, isn't it? To me, 
It's at the same time encouraging uh, and enabling. It's encouraging for obvious reasons. For one, it's good that, that we know that if we're in Christ, he's, we're secure. He began to work in us. He's not going to just let us go. No, listen, I might save you. I'm thinking about it. You impressed me just then with your good work. So, you know, good luck. No, he's faithfully completed. He makes a promise. I started this. I will see it through. That part is good, obviously. And then our salvation is secure. And our hope is secure. On the other hand, it's, it's enabling to. It's enabling because it's too reminiscent of the tired old bumper sticker. You ever seen this one that years and years ago, people don't have bumper stickers too much. Car decals they have, like impact stickers. Those are called bumper stickers, not so much. But the old bumper sticker, let go and let God. Have you ever seen that one? I mean, don't. That's stupid. Because the way that that is, is read, it's really, really good. People just kind of back up, do nothing proactive, nothing pressing towards the mark, nothing in partnership with God, and let God, because God will do it all, but prefers to work with animated puppets rather than with sons and daughters who freely choose to love them and to serve them. But that's not true. He would rather work with, with sons and daughters who freely choose to love them and to serve them. It's a partnership. Now, what I'm about to say you're not going to like, but if you get it, it's important. I think this could really move you along your way towards realizing your dream. Get this. It's a partnership. As God does a good work in our life, he holds the chisel. Or rather, we hold the chisel and he holds the mallet. Does that make sense? See, God does not come along in our life and say, hold still a minute. I've been looking. Just hold still. I don't care if you're having fun right now. This part's bad. I got the chisel. I got the mallet. Just, God, why are you torturing us? Why are you after me? What he does is he brings us along. Sometimes he lets us live in those pits and those valleys and see that something in our life is hurting us and then we come to a point where God, I need help with this. God says, are you willing to let me work on that? You're like, I am. I'm broken, God. I'm willing to, to let you work. Then will you put that chisel right there in your life? Will you sacrifice everything to me? And we'll hold that and then he'll gently begin that work. But do you see that picture? Isn't that a beautiful picture? Do you see that? It's a partnership. He's not going to take the chisel in the mouth and start chasing you down. He's going to ask you to see what's hurting you. What's hurting you? Why don't you put that chisel right on? Put that chisel right on the part of your life that's tearing you up, that's making you less like me, that's causing you uh, to sin, and then I will start working. Start making you, molding you into the image of my son. Now listen, for those of you that are just joining us at the end of the series, we're, we're wrapping up a four series called Dream Again, and few biblical characters in the Bible uh, can compete with Joseph when it comes to Commitment and just raw tenacity for going after their dream. God gave him a dream as a boy, as a, as a teenager, and he just set his sights on that thing and he never let go. See, because he knew it was from God. But every single obstacle and pit that could possibly come along, that you can even dream up or imagine seems to hit this guy. He's back in the pit or in the prison or another valley constantly. Whenever he's on the mountaintop, it doesn't last long, it seems like. Back in the pit, on the mountaintop again. Back in prison, on the mountaintop. Back in the pit again. But that in and of itself doesn't make him a whole lot different than maybe a lot of you. And his, what makes him different again is, is that nothing deters him. See, I mean, we've seen the evil one throw everything but the kitchen sink in the last few weeks at Joseph. I mean, just everything. Because the evil one, now Satan knows that God wants to use Joseph. To honestly to save the world and know the world there from hunger and famine in years to come. It's a big, big dream. Bigger than Joseph even thought it was. And yet, he keeps emerging from Satan's pits and valleys like some sort of ancient day Zig Ziglar, smiling and on top. And all of this, gang, I want you to get this, because in our culture, we ought to be ashamed. All of this without antidepressants. All of this without a shrink. All of this without even three free counseling sessions. All of this without social media. How did he do it without video games? How did he do it without legalized pot, for goodness sake? How did he pull this off? I mean, he hasn't had any of the crutches that we have to sort of numb the pain and drown out the sorrow of the pits and valleys that we go, he didn't have any of that. He still stayed excited. What gift? What in the world held him together during all these, <clears throat> these tough times? Well, this morning, here's what I'm learning. I want to go on our journey to find that answer together. If I just give it to you, you're going to write it down, or maybe not even write it down, and go and, and go and change. And my goal is that you will you will discover this together, and it'll enter your mind, but lodge in your heart. So I'm going to do that by taking a quest of questions here. 
I want us to be not just dream catchers, but I want us to actually have dreams worth catching. So, here's the first question that I want you to write down that we've got to deal with if we want our dreams to become reality. The first question is the tenacity question. The tenacity question. So far in the life of Joseph, we've seen a favorite boy hated by his brothers, beaten by his brothers, thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery by his brothers, and now bound to a foreign country. And his brothers were like, done with that. Not a real good life. After that, he got bought as a soldier for a very, wow, it's kind of a I don't think I can do that twice, but there it is. He got sold into a permanent household and became CEO of Potiphar Enterprises. And he gets falsely accused of rape, then thrown into prison and left to rot, back into the valley again. He's a model prisoner in prison, and he went from running his little jail cell nice to running cell block C to overseeing the entire prison industry of a nation, of all of Egypt. But then he has a chance to get out, and he's forgotten and left to fade into obscurity, seemingly, in prison. But he, he, he doesn't get down. He doesn't get depressed about this. He doesn't look at that and go, okay, God, I, I mean, I think I've just been a little pie in the sky. I think I'm like an H.J. Paul again. I just believe in you, but okay, I, I get it. You don't love me. You're not there. I mean, look, I'm looking through my diary, I'm sorry, journal, because he's a guy. And I'm seeing what you have done in my life, and I'm going, okay, I just, I was a dreamer, but it was nothing but a dream. I wasn't really a dreamer. Obviously, I don't care. I'm back in the pit again. I'm literally in the pit. This was a dungeon. This was a prison. This was below the ground. It's a pit. And he could have just gotten discouraged. But he didn't. So let's pick up where we left off last week. Chapter 40, verses 1 through 3. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king, so he's in prison, okay? And here's what happened. The cupbearer of the king of Egypt, who's Pharaoh, and his baker committed sins or offenses against their king. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put him in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. By the way, that's Potiphar. Listen to this, in the prison where Joseph was confined. So Joseph, humbly, he has to not only be in prison, but he's in prison where the captain of the guard, who used to work for him, did so many good things for him, was falsely accused by, is the head of that. And one night, they both dreamed. But remember what happened in that prison. He rose to the top of that. He rose to the top of that. He's running the prison now. So one night, both the cupbearer and the baker, they dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each trapped with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. And he asked Pharaoh's officers to show with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? Gang, that, that should blow you away right there. I really shouldn't. Never mind why their faces are downcast. Why is it his? Why is it his? Why is he, I mean, he's smiling? So he sees these two guys, and by the way, Joseph, get a little bit of a clue. They just got thrown into prison. They're probably a little bummed about that. But he's living on such a high plane. I mean, he's had so much joy by being in God's zone, in the faith zone, and living all out for God, that he's not down. He's not. So he sees people who are down, and you realize you're not living the same way. You're definitely not living the dream. Why are you so downcast? No, I've heard people teach that it, Joseph was like this because he never thought about those bad times. Really? Does anybody ever believe that? No, he just never thought about those bad times. But never he blocked them out. It was so painful that he couldn't even remember them. What? You know, yeah, yeah, he's sort of a glass half full kind of guy. Not a glass half empty kind of guy. The only thing wrong with that theory, again, write this down, is it's stupid. I mean, it's stupid. Joseph is a sharp character. He's brilliant. He's strong. He's wise. He's a hard worker. He's not a lazy pothead in prison for robbing an Egyptian kiosk with a beating him. Right? He's not a little juvenile delinquent. He didn't do any of this. He knows why he's there. He knows he doesn't deserve it. He's a godly old man. He's not even mentioned any sin in the 12 chapters that are talked about. So he's not in denial. That's not why he's able to smile, because he's on antidepressants and he's in denial. Never happened to him. No. You weren't thrown in prison. You don't have 11, you don't have 10 brothers who beat you. I don't recall anything. No, it's not like that. And we learned that here as we keep reading verse 14. Only he said to them, I will interpret your dreams, but he said, please remember me when it's well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. Okay, did you catch that? Okay. I'm going to interpret your dreams for you. I just ask one favor. One of you is going to get out. He says this to the cupbearer. Turns out the baker's dream, not so good. 
In three days, they were going to be released, so they weren't even in there that long. The bad news is the baker was going to get hung in three days for his crimes, but the cupbearer would be restored to his position. He says, so when you get restored to your position, because I've done this for you, would you, or really the Lord did this for you, would you just remember me? I've been rotting here. By the way, I used to think as I read this, I don't know where I got it. I think I've heard it taught that Joseph was in prison about three years. Do you know how long he was in that prison? Take a guess. Anybody know? Ten years. Ten years for a crime being committed. And at this point, it was about year seven. And he asked them to remember. And guess what? He forgot. He forgot. How do you forget that? How did you get somebody that interpreted your dream and nailed it right on? And it's only a couple of days later, you're restored to your position in power. How did you forget that? Selfishness. Selfishness. How long did you forget it? Do the math. For three more years, just as in prison. So just remember me when you come before Pharaoh. For I was, I was taken out of the land, and he's not in denial. Listen, here's what happened. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Jew. I was taken there, and it wasn't my fault, and I've done nothing that they should put me in the pit. It's not a denial. So the fact is, I didn't do anything wrong. Now, listen, you hear that a lot when you visit prison. Why are you here? I don't know. What did you do? Nothing. What are you? Innocent. I mean, you hear that a lot, but with him, it's really true. Sometimes we like to put the full press on Jesus, the full court press, when he doesn't answer our prayers exactly the way we want. Here's what we do. We'll say, God, you have me in this valley. You're not even listening to me, and I did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. I'm innocent. First of all, gang, no one's innocent. Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But even if you and I are, are guiltless in a certain situation where we enter a pit unjustly, or we enter a prison or a valley unjustly, we may still have to spend time in different reasons. For a completely different reason. Because God is refining us and refining the dream in us. And it's going to be good. And it's going to be exactly like he said, if we're tenacious and stick with it. Otherwise, we'll really short circuit. So remember me, Joseph said, yet the butler forgot for approximately 10 years. Remember me, Jesus said. When did Jesus say that? Is there a specific? thing we do periodically as a church where Jesus actually uses those words. Okay. Remember me. When you take this bread, remember what? My body was broken. When you drink this cup, remember my blood was shed. When you do this overall, remember me what I did for you. That's why we're supposed to do this often. That's why we do it often as a church. But you know what? I know people. I know Christians haven't taken communion for 10 years because they can't expend the energy. They can't find the time to do the thing the Lord asked them to do. It's amazing how we become so callous, so unappreciative and forgetful. So he's in a prison, and this prison is called a pit. And not only was Joseph aware that he'd been in the pit on his way to realizing his dream, but he was also aware of it again. And every time he's in the pit, he realizes, I, I know it. I know I'm off course. I know what it looks like. But it doesn't get him down, and it never derails the dream. Never. Why? Third time, his dream catchers aren't pushed by the problems. Joseph wasn't allowing the obstacles, the problems, and the pits, and the prisons to push him around and determine where he goes, because they're led by their dreams. He was led by his dreams always, the whole time. Why aren't you discouraged? Because God gave you a dream. Why aren't you discouraged? Though? You're in prison because God cannot lie. But you're in prison. You should be a little bit down if it's only for a temporary time. How do you know that? Because God's character is good and God is faithful and he'll make it happen someday. Many of us, you know what we're trying to do? We're always trying to reconcile a bowl of cherries that some Christians see. Life is a bowl of cherries. And we look at some Christians and go, look at their life. How come they're going to have a bowl of cherries and I don't always get the pits and I live in that? The fact is nobody's life. If you can walk in there a mile in there, she's, nobody lives. In, the, in a bowl of chairs all the time. It's just not that way. Everybody experiences both mountaintops and valleys. Everybody experiences a bowl of chairs and a life in the pits. It's really not that. What really matters is your attitude in either place. In a bowl of chairs or in the pits. Paul also said to Philippians, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I love what Chuck Swindoll said. In the, in the long run of life, I, I agree with this too. He said, the longer I live, the more I'm convinced that life is only 10% what happens to me. 
and 90% how I react. Think about that. You know, a lot of the same things happen every day. Life is only about 10% maybe, the things that are happening to me. 90% of what is going to happen in my life is how I react to the cherries and the pits. Joseph learned early to preserve a good attitude. I love this H. Jackson Brown, not the rock star, different Jackson Brown, author of Life's Little Instruction Book, says that there are two rules of perseverance. These are good rules. You should get these. Two rules. If you want to persevere, here they are. Rule one, take one more step. Rule two, when you can't take one more step, refer to rule number one. Don't you like that? It's true. I mean, dreamers, dream catchers, when they're knocked down, they're not going to go undone. This is it. You can't be done. If God gave you that dream, you can't be done. You have to get back up and take one more step. Because you have to realize the dream of God cannot lie. The only one that can derail that dream, because it is a partnership, is if you're holding that chisel and it hurts too much and you throw it to the ground and say, I want my dream now, God. I'm ready. I don't want you to do this painful work on me. God will say, I envision you doing great things. I called you to do great things. I shaped you to do great things, but you're not ready. If you want to short circuit this, you may have a somewhat comfortable life and try to make it profit free, but you will never do great things for you because you're not ready. Take that chisel back up. Let me take those rough edges off. I've got something bigger for you. And honestly, so we got to answer a couple questions in this next one. The fulfillment question. Two questions. Does working toward my dream bring satisfaction? Here's how you know. Is this dream, am I on track here? Well, not if you're miserable every step of the way working towards it. You may not, you may have the wrong dream. Only you can answer that one, by the way. The second one, I'll answer for you. The second one is, is my dream just for me? Is my dream just my dream. Let me answer. That's three times now. That's a difficult number. That's freaking me. I don't know. Is this dream just for me? That's not like. Really, it is not like. It's usually much bigger than that. Take a look. <laughs> but isn't that a beautiful picture? Listen, I'm sure there were those sisters that the dream wasn't really, you know, to not actually make it to the Olympics. Uh, by the way, that commercial is not going to be shown for some sponsorship reason or something, and it doesn't have really anything to do with that. And that's a shame because those are the stories that really make the Olympics interesting, isn't it? The dream was to make it. Both the sisters were talented in their dream, but the one that was more talented got sick. And the one sister knew that. By the way, they were kind of in an obscure sport a little bit. So, what are the chances if they both made it and kind of didn't go that far, or even if they meddled, that they would be as well known? as they will be for this story. I'd say it's here. It's the stories that inspire people. And because of that, they'll probably be well known. Let's keep going, verse 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh now had a dream. And he dreamed that he was standing by the mountain. Behold, there came out of the mouth seven cows, attractive and plump. I've never seen an attractive cow. <laughs> there it is, in scripture, one of the attractive and plump. And they fed in the green grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, that I've seen came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. So it's a cow standoff, sort of here. And the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows, and Pharaoh woke up. Now that's a nightmare. That's pretty freaky. That really is. Now two years later, dreams are front and center again in Joseph's life. So this time it's the most powerful man on earth who's doing the dream. And it, it, we're starting to see in this picture that it wasn't even about the dreams that Joseph had as a 17, 16, or 17 year old boy. It's now getting so much bigger. Verse 8. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. This is chapter 41, I believe. And he sent, Pharaoh sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams. And there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Nobody. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Wait. I think I blew it. I just remember, I kind of messed up. I remember my offenses today. Now, I suppose we could say better late than never, but I would say just bear with this guy. Verse 14. He told, so, Cupbearer says, There is a guy who can interpret dreams. He did it for me. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him up out of the pit. How long does it take God to lift up us out of the pit? Ten years? Three years. Yeah, one 
the ready to listen. Seconds, moments. He has a dream, and with moments, in a moment's time, Joseph has to be ready. His life is about to turn around, and it's, it's within an hour. Within an hour. He who had been in the dungeon an hour earlier is now standing before the most powerful man on earth. It can happen in an instant. And a lot of us would have given up on God. If we're honest by now in this situation, we would have just said, I don't care if wants to dream or not, I'm just riding here. We would have given up on God, we would have given up on our dreams because all of those obstacles in the way, you can't possibly be in this, God. But nothing would trouble the whole way. Watch this. Not just. Why not? Because he knew that it's not possible to please God without faith. Joseph knew that. I, I can't please him. Hebrew says that. Without faith, it's possible to please God. Hebrews 11. And God is all about in our lives building up and strengthening our faith. So all the obstacles in his life, guess how he looked at them? He saw them more as stepping stones to building great faith rather than obstacles in the way of his dream. Do you? He saw all those obstacles more like stepping stones to building great faith. My faith is getting stronger through these. I'm getting stronger. Admit that's not how most of us look at problems and valleys of life. None of most of us even were taught to think. We think no obstacles is the way to get to the top. You want to get to the top, then remove it. Make the path flat and make the path straight and take out all the hurdles, and that's the way you want to live life. When we're living obstacle-free and there's nothing but smooth sailing, you know what I've heard people say? I hear them say that a lot. When you hear somebody describe a life that's really easy and comfortable, man, I'm just the smooth sailing, or even play sport. Let's say they're playing basketball, man, there's nothing but net, and I can just see my lane the whole way. They say, I'm in the way. I'm in the zone. I'm in that, I think. That's interesting. God's in a different zone. I would call that the safe zone. That's all we're looking for in life. Always looking for the safe zone. But God's in a different one. He's got the faith zone. He lives in there. He's trying to develop us to live inside of that. It's much bigger. It's, it's much more inspirational for his kingdom. And again, it's going to be tough for some of us because of everything we've been taught. Most of us have been taught to shoot for an obstacle free, problem free, trial free, heartache free, headache free, safe zone. But there's no faith zone in the safe zone. And you ought to be able to remember that because of all the right. But there is no faith zone. It can't live or exist in this quest that we have to eliminate all problems and ignore all problems and deny all problems or medicate all problems. It's one or the other. It's the safe zone or the faith zone. Otherwise, why take, if this is a true game, just limited logic, why take Joseph to do any of this? He's a talented guy. He's athletic, he's spiritual, he's smart. Why not just take him, pluck him right out of the first trial he goes into, put him before Pharaoh, and have Pharaoh have a dream, and he's right. Why not just put this young, cocky teenager before the most powerful man on earth right away? I mean, he's pretty sad. He's got a lot to go for. Why all this? Because he was cocky, young, know-it-all teenager. And earlier in his life, he might have simply tried to convince Pharaoh that he was an abused rock star. All right, Pharaoh, here's the deal. I know you're Pharaoh, but God Almighty gave me a dream. In my dream, everybody bows down to me. I'm thinking that includes you. So I'm a prima donna. What I'll need is about 100 servants. How many of you have? 90? I need 91. I need people feeding grapes. I need constant fanning to go on. It's very hot in Egypt. Have you ever noticed that? I need to be taken care of. I'm a prima donna. I need somebody to do my nails. I need somebody to pamper me. I'm a rock star in the making. You may not realize it, but I do. And I'm glad you plucked me out of prison because I never belonged there. I never did anything wrong. I'm thinking, how long would he have lasted with that attitude? I mean, he should have been treated differently. That would have been how he reacted. He should have been able to smoke pot. Drag Reese's Lamborghini down Pyramid Boulevard and twerk to his heart's content, right? <laughs> Just do whatever. I guess that's twerking for girls. I don't know. But whatever you do, I should be able to do that. I should be able to act like a punk because I'm all of that. He should have said. But somehow I'm thinking that none of that would have gone over very big with What do you think? I think 15 seconds of that in front of the, the mightiest man on earth would have gone interesting. I'm trying to think of something. Yeah, well, let me talk, Pharaoh. No, no, I'm, I'm trying to decide how you're going to die. How many children? I want to make it interesting because you're an incredibly audacious talk. Instead, God said, Joseph, I have a big dream for you. But you're not ready. You're not ready. 
If I, I'm not going to play the tape for you. It, it, it would be tragic if you were to see how you would perform right now. It would be tragic, not just for, for you, but for others. So it wouldn't have gone good for Pharaoh. It wouldn't have gone good for the entire known world. They probably would have started a petition to have them deported to Canada, I think. Or Canaan. It's easy to get them mixed up. Canaan, Canada. I don't know. I'm thinking, we don't have time. We don't have here. Look up here. You will never have God's provision without first a problem. I'm sorry, gosh, I don't want to hear that. Can you change that a little bit? No. Listen, you're never going to have God's provision without first a problem. Doesn't that make sense? Otherwise, if you just have his provision all the time and no problems, you're not going to thank God. God becomes a genie. He becomes subservient to you. But when you have problems and you're driven to him before him on your knees and you cry out and you have his provision there, then you recognize who it's from. And he begins to mold you and shape you and chisel you into the image of the Son. You will never have God's provision without a problem. They go hand in hand. So if you're trying to create a safe zone, problem-free life, you'll never be a dream catcher. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So he stands before him in total confidence. Not in his own abilities, but in the Lord's. And how is he able to do this? Because he has never been pushed around by his problems. He instead has been led always by his dreams from God. Here's a third question. The alignment question. Does my dream align with God's greater vision for all believers? The great commission, the great commandment. Look at verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but there's no one who can interpret it. And I've heard it said to you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered said, I really can't. It's not me. But God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. You blew it, Joseph. You could disguise all this. You have this dream ability. If you've ever been to a church where all the glory and everything about it is all about the church or the people or the music or the pastor or any of that, but Jesus' heart never thrown in there, he could have done that right here. Couldn't he? He could have said, you got that right. I am the dream catcher. And for a price, I will interpret your dreams. But I'm good and I'm worth a lot. I'll take 90% of your kingdom. And you'll find that it's worth it when you find out how serious this dream is. No, instead he said, it's not me at all. I have no talent with this. God gave me this ability. And if he chooses right now, he will interpret your dream. And Joseph interprets a dream that no one else can. He interprets a dream that nobody else can. None of the hot shots. None of the rock star magicians. But listen, he didn't do an end zone dance after interpreting Pharaoh's dream. He didn't spike the ball in the cup Pharaoh's face. Wouldn't you? I would have. Let me just spike that in your face. Three years, you forgot me. You were supposed to remind him. I could have not lied him for another three years. There's no mention of him. You know what I would have thought there'd be a mention of? Several things. Now that I'm out, and he's about to elevate him to the second most powerful man on earth, the prime minister of all Egypt. So when you get there, there's a little bit of unfinished business. Anything I do for you, Joseph? Here's a few things. Cupbearer that you brought back. Let's hang him tomorrow. Because he cost me a little bit. Potiphar's still married to that wench, I mean that woman. Because, by the way, she's adopted. I never touched her. She falsely accused me. I want her dead next. Uh, can I get about a month off? I've got some brothers. And it's uh, about a month's journey away. And I want all of them to die slowly. Because they did this. There's, there's no evidence. In fact, you're going to see in a moment, none of that's there. None of that at all. Some of you are hearing me say that. No, I don't even like you say that, Pastor. But it's true. Don't we think that the, the culmination of our dreams is to be able to pay back everyone? That's why we go to high school you right? Look what I became. Huh? But no, Joseph doesn't have any of it. Instead, he deflected all the glory back to God. He would not have done that in his earlier years. He wasn't ready. Why didn't he grow these things? Because this is the new. Again, this is the new and improved Joseph. The better, more mature Joseph. He's been refined as though through fire. Achieving the dream was about more than just what he would accomplish as an individual. It's about who he became in the process. Achieving your dream is about more of who you become in the process than just getting stuff for yourself. It's the same for you and me. This makes all the difference in the world because achieving the dream is about more than our skills, more than the money we make, more than the recognition, more than the popularity. A great dream, a great dream game is not, it's not just a destination. I've arrived. 
Otherwise, you see so many people that, that are so-called arrived, or what we say, made it, they'd be a lot more happy, wouldn't they? All these people that are so, so-called made it, they have riches, they have, they have popularity, fame, all that, you look at it and you think, why are you so much of Because the dream is more than, than a destination. It's the catalyst for a great journey, and it's all about who you and I become along that journey. Once we arrive at who God created us to be, who God shaped us to be, only then will we find that we can catch the dream at last. We're ready, and now we can catch it, take hold of it, live it. Listen, if, if we don't get this, this is kind of important, but it's really, really important. If we don't get this, we'll never catch our dream. And you know what I call that? I know a lot of people that have this. It's a disease. I call it destination disease. Check it out. Maybe you've had it. So when people think that arriving at a certain place in life will bring them happiness. Ever known anyone like that? I'm not really happy right now. When will you be? Just a little more money. I'm not real happy in this dead-end job. When will you be? When I get that promotion. I'm not really happy in this marriage. When will you be? When I change spouses. Really? That's destination disease. The reality is that many times when we arrive at what we hoped would make us happy, we discover that it's not what we expected. It's not. It was the carrot on the end of the stick, and we never, never could, could reach it. But those who are successfully used by God, it's different for them. Here's how you recognize them. Those that are successfully used by God are those who cause people to say, God is good without taking any credit for themselves. When you're ready to do that, you'll be successfully used by God. Now, I bet I know what some of you are thinking. Uh, I don't think I'm too passionate because I know a lot of pastors, I know a lot of churches, they're huge. And obviously they're successful. I never hear them give the glory to God. So they'll be all about themselves and, and book deals and, and all of that. Well, listen, I didn't say they wouldn't be successful in the world's eyes. I didn't say you couldn't get big. I didn't say you couldn't get famous. We've all seen that you can. I said successfully used by God, not successfully used. There's a difference. Here's the fourth, fourth question, the significance question. Am I moving closer to God? We all need significance in life. And I'd say the answer that's enough for life is significance. Start, stop asking, am I all of that? Start asking, am I getting closer to God? Because the closer you get to God, the more significant your life will be. We all want to feel like our, our life amounts to something. This is, why, this is why atheism isn't just bad science and completely illogical. It's demoralized. Isn't it? If it's true that ultimately our lives don't really need a thing, no matter what you do, they really don't. They don't have any meaning. But that doesn't mean we automatically find meaning just because God exists and has always existed. If we don't live for Him, but instead live for ourselves, we'll never find significance in this life. It's about finding our significance in Him. So the question here is, does my life benefit others? How do you find it after getting closer to God? you got to answer this question. Does my life benefit others? See, at first glance, through the eyes of immaturity, Joseph's dreams seem to be similar to those of, of, of a finalist on a marathon or of a rock star. All about everything boiling down to him, serving him. You know, what do you want to get out of? I want millions of fans on Twitter. I want tons of followers on, on Facebook. Or the other way around. Not much of a surprise, really, to want those things from a 12-year-old or even a 17-year-old. I'm sure when Bono of U2 was a teenager and started to take off in his band, started to get a lot of recognition, and everything was happening around him, he probably at first as a young star thought, this is about me, I'm, I'm great. I look how people just fawn over me, the money, popularity, women. But maturity eventually sets in. Maturity eventually made him realize that something infinitely bigger than himself was the real dream. And since then, he's gone on to be probably the leading person to help stop the epidemic of AIDS in a whole continent, in all of Africa. Now that, I think, game is a little bigger than being a rock star, isn't it? Rock star, people think, is a pretty big dream. And Bono's a Christian, by the way. No, he's not. He dropped the F-bomb. So have half of you at some point in your life, probably. That doesn't make you a Christian or not. That makes you a sinner. But Bono puts, Bono loves the Lord, and you hear it in his testimony throughout, but he realized later in life, yeah, I wasn't called, I'm not, even, I'm not even the best singer. I think God called me to save people from dying. It's kind of the same thing God called Joseph. 
Sub-issues. Read that in another. Genesis 41, 38 to 43. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man? Because Joseph said, Here's what you're going to have to do. The dream means that seven good years are coming for Egypt. But they will be followed by seven years of famine. And if you are not ready for the seven years of famine, then this whole nation will perish. And a lot of nations around. So here's what I suggest. Find somebody that can oversee a food program, a hunger, a food drive, and save up like 20% of the food during the seven years. Then you have food not only for yourself, but you're able to sell it, and Egypt will become a powerful nation in the seven years of famine. So Pharaoh here said, that's a great idea. Problem is, where am I going to find anybody that's that good? You're the one that came up with it. I have an idea, how about you be that guy? So you shall be over my house. You shall be over all of my people. You shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and he made him ride in the second chariot and they called out before him, Bow the knee. Why is that significant? Bow the knee. Let me take you back 20 years. 20 years. Because Joseph had a dream that he shared with his brothers. And in both dreams, he said, I was the, the bushel of, of grain or whatever, the second grain, and your stack's grain bowed to me. And then he has another one with the sun and the stars, and everything bows to him. And he's going, What do you suppose that means? Wrong time to share it, right? Not ready. But guess what? There it is. At, at the most powerful man's command, Pharaoh, everybody was to bow before Joseph. Isn't that beautiful man? The dream of a teenager, because he was tenacious and he stuck with it. And all these other questions are answered. He's living the dream. He's living the dream. Joseph ended up telling Pharaoh the meaning of the dream. Pharaoh was so impressed, he had an elevated prime minister right away. The dreams at first, listen, here's why. That happened right away when he was ready. But not right away chronologically, it was like 20 years. Well, see, the dreams at first, they benefited Jacob, Joseph's father, and Joseph, but not his brothers. And then they benefited Potiphar and his household, but not God's kingdom. Next, the prison system and the warden, but not Joseph. Yes, your dream will benefit you too, obviously. And then finally, as we see in just a moment, it benefited everyone, including He who had been in the dungeon just an hour earlier is now elevated to the position of prime minister and head of the kitchen. The difference is now he's ready. One final question, only one thing remains. The dream was always meant to culminate in restoration. Like so many things in God's work, they're not finished until there's complete restoration. The restoration question. Is the final one. Is your heart right with others? If you're not living the dream now, and all these points up, and you've answered these questions, oh, but I, I answered them all right. I'm living them all right, but I'm still not living the dream. Then maybe the last thing left is you could be living in revenge or bitterness. See, Joseph wasn't ready to live the dream until he was ready to forgive his brothers. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Skip down there for a moment. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Well, that may not mean much to you, except here's what Manasseh means. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and my father's house. He named his son Forget, which is kind of cruel, and that's a whole other thing. Hey, forgetful, come here. But Manasseh means, it, it's, he was blessed Manasseh, saying, because I have peace about everything he did. I'm not mad at him. I'm not bitter. I forgot, not that I can't remember it, but that it doesn't eat my lunch. I have peace about it. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So it goes hand in hand. First one, I was able to forget and forgive. So now I'm fruitful and live in the dream. Before you can be fruitful and live the dream, you have to forgive and forget. There needs to be restoration. Question, have you restored all relationships in your life? Are you holding anything against anybody? And you might say, but they deserve it. But Pastor Rob, you know, I have no idea what they did to me and how bad it was. No, I don't, but God does. And maybe you have no realistic idea of what all you did and I did and we did to Jesus. Who died for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While people were spitting at him, yelling at him, he died for us. So whatever people did to you, it's not as bad as what we did to him and do to him. So when famine had spread all over the land, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt. 
Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Guess who's included in all the earth? Ten brothers. Verse 42. When Jacob, Joseph's father, who was still alive, learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt because they were starving in Canaan, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? Stand around looking at one another. So they had to change. And he said, Behold, I have heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. Isn't it beautiful how God weaves things together? And so the, we don't have time for this, and I wish we had one more week in this, but here's what happens. His brothers go, and because they want to buy grain, they have to stand before the one man who authorizes the selling of food. Their brother. They don't recognize him. It's been more than 20 years. He's like an Egyptian, you know, in all his dress, his look, and even his accent, and the way he talks, all So they don't recognize him. But he recognizes them right away. He can barely get told himself. And so for the next four or five chapters, Joseph's going to look like he's playing a game with him, but he's not. Joseph gets to play a beautiful role in his older brother's life. He gets to be the mentor. He gets to be the guy who holds the chisel on that. And he gets to let God refine them. He gets to make sure their hearts are right before he reveals to them that he's a changed person. Verse 45, that Joseph could not control himself. They've come before him several times now. They're standing before him now. They actually bow before him. Joseph must have looked at that and remembered every single word and picture in his head that he had on his He's looking at his brothers back and forth. There it is. It's almost complete, but not quite. He cried at that moment. He could not, at that moment, he couldn't control himself anymore. He said, make everyone go out of the room for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it in the other rooms, the household of Pharaoh. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Which is probably not good. Is my father still alive? He, still, he doesn't care about revenge. He just wants to know if my father's still alive. But his brothers couldn't even speak, for they were dismayed at his presence. That's a nice way to put it. It's a nice way to say they were peeing their pants. That's what was happening, basically. We're going to die. That's it. How did this happen? We're going to die. He'll kill us for sure. So Joseph said to his brothers, come here to me, please. And they came here. And he said, I'm the brother of Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. I can hardly believe this. I get emotional. It's so beautiful. And now do not be distressed. Here it is. It's so beautiful. Don't be angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve a lot of lives. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant for the earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. And finally, Genesis 50. Now they live there, and the brothers have reconciled. They've had many years together, and Joseph lives about, I mean, Jacob, his father lives about 12 more years. They were united. It's beautiful, but the brothers, listen. They can't get this last piece. So they're not quite realizing their dream. The dream that Joseph's now been living out for years and years and years. His brothers are still struggling. Look what happens. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, Jacob died, they said, it may be that Joseph will now hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died, I swear. Say to Joseph, please forgive the sins of your brothers and their, and their transitions because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants. They're calling themselves servants of Joseph and of God. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He's hurt by this. His brothers also came and fell down before him again. There's a secondary bowing again. Behold, we are your servants, they said. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? And my, one of my most favorite verses in all of the Bible, one of the most beautiful things in the culmination of our entire series here is this verse. If you get this in your life, you'll catch dreams. You ready? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. God meant it for good. Beautiful, wasn't it? Now I've got three quick things about three things I'm just going to tell them to you. There's no need for much explanation. Explanation other than that if you just go out of here knowing these facts and answering these questions, you may not know what you can actually do to get started to realize your dreams. So let me give you three quick application deals. One thing that Joseph did is he started where he was. You could do that, right? How do I get started on this? I don't even where to begin. Start where you're at. In every pit of life at the end, rather than complain of why, you simply looked around 
assessed the situation, applied his talents, and started right where he was. Second thing, he used what he had. He used what he had. As a slave, he didn't say, I'm not lifting a finger until I get a nicer room. At three square meals, at a salary, and I get promoted, at least from slave to servant, has a better ring to it, then we'll talk. He never did that. No, he just applied his talents to better Potiphar's household, which also bettered his circumstance. And finally, he did what he could. He did what he could. So he started where he was, he used what he had, and he did what he could. As a slave, he could work harder and smarter than the others. So he did. As a prisoner, he could use his organization skills and skills as a visionary to make the prison system better and himself indispensable. So he did. There's no more exports. And every one of us can do the same. There's no one of those three so, things that everyone can do. But why should I, Pastor Rob? I don't need a dream. I just want to live life for myself and be comfortable and try not to be a bad person. Well, that would be a tragedy. Honestly, that would be a tragedy. Because you were made for so much more than that. So much more than that. A dream not only gives you more to live for and work for, it can actually awaken your soul. To many, and I'm sad to say this game, even Christians, they're just kind of muddling through life with no more of a dream or a goal than to safely make it to death. Do you realize how stupid that sounds? What's your realistic goal? I'm trying to safely get through life and safely arrive at death. Well, okay, getting death isn't very safe. Death is physically very bad for so isn't that a foolish, unworthy goal? Live for a dream. Better still, live for God's dream. And you'll find that fulfillment. Decide today if you want that to change. If you're living to save and make it to death, decide right now if you want that to change. Go back over the sermon as many times as you need to. Listen to the podcast. Answer those questions. If you're answering them wrong, shift something, change something, get it right. You'll be a dream catcher. I'm convinced that God puts a dream in every one of us. Some of us get, get away from it. Some of us get bitter. But there's a dream. And as long as you still have a pulse, you can dream again.